Welcome to the Life on Purpose podcast, where we want to help you live an intentional life following Christ. My name is Dwayne Bauer. I'm the lead pastor of Epic Community Church and one of the leaders of Greenhouse Multiplication Network. We're in the second week of our series called Contagious, Living a Life of Influence in a Digital World. In this series, we're talking about how our faith informs and intersects with how we communicate on digital platforms. Today, we're talking about being the light of the world. Thanks for joining us. Here's the podcast. Uh, We are in our series um, called Contagious, and we're talking about living a life of influence in a digital world, and we're thinking about just with all the communication shifts that have taken place in our world, uh, especially since the dawn of computer, and as we move digitally, we're wondering, you know, how does our faith inform and intersect with our digital footprint and the way that we live our life uh, digitally? And the reason that is such a concern is because social media has a dark side. And that's really been brought, you know, more in the public eye over the last few years uh, with a few good documentaries that were put out. If you haven't watched uh, Social Dilemma on Netflix, I would recommend starting there. It really opens up your eyes to the manipulation that takes place on social media. I think that would be a great place to start. I've also read a few books, um, including this one here, uh, 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Account right now. I'm going to share some of these reasons with you. Uh, I want to read a quote from the book too, but um, in this book, the author talks about social media's tendency to bring out the worst in people and how social media companies lead us that way intentionally. Here are some of the dark truths about social media that I pulled out of the book. Number one, social media tricks us with illusions of popularity and success. Social media makes politics terrifying. Social media leads us to feeling like we don't measure up and, and, and it can make us feel depressed. Social media twists our relationship with the truth. Social media disconnects us from people at the same time fooling us into feeling like we are closer to people than ever before. Social media robs us of our free will, leading us to the information that it wants to show us. Social media keeps us in constant surveillance using algorithms to manipulate us at every turn. Social media is run by the richest corporations in history, and they get more money the more that they manipulate us. Social media ground is uh, social media is is, a, is, uh, is grounds for cyberbullying, for revenge pornography, and for trolling. This this quote in the in the book comes from uh, the former vice president of user growth at Facebook. Here's what he says. The short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we've created are destroying how society works. No civil discourse, no cooperation, misinformation, mistruth, and it's not an American problem. This This is not about Russian ads. This is a global problem. I feel tremendous guilt. I think we all knew in the back of our minds, even though we feigned this whole line of, like there probably aren't any bad unintended consequences, I think in the back deep, deep recesses of our minds, we kind of knew something bad could happen. So we're in a really bad state of affairs right now. In my opinion, it is eroding the core foundation of how people behave by and between each other. And I don't have a good solution. My solution is, I just don't use these tools anymore. I haven't for years. Man, there's a dark side to social media. And the truth is, some of us probably need to delete our social media account. It would be really good for some of us. Uh, 
But, but social media experts have told us that the best way to manage your social media is to take control of how we interact with it. In other words, you know, the, 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 the social media algorithms want to suck us into the darkness of social media. Instead, we need to see it as an opportunity to shine light into the darkness of the world. And we can follow Paul's direction when he tells, tells us in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 27. He says, whatever happens, including if you're on social media, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the, the gospel of Christ. My kids had an experience this week, uh, this past week at Goodwill, where the customer in front of them in line was incredibly rude, not only to the, the person who was running the cash register, but also to the manager of the store. And it gave us an opportunity to have a conversation about how we conduct ourselves as Christ followers. That even when we get upset about some things in the world, we are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's what makes us different from the rest of the world. And last week we had talked a little bit about being the salt of the earth, right? And we're going to revisit those verses from last week. We're specifically going to focus on the second half of those those verses. So we will be in Matthew chapter 5 if you want to turn your Bibles there. We're going to be all over the place, honestly, today in Scripture, but that's going to be the central verse, uh, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time. So if you want to turn your Bibles, your Bible apps there, before we kind of jump into the story, I'd love it if we could pray together. So can we pray just for the right posture this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that we get to gather together. The sun was shining on my way in here, Lord. It just felt uh, amazing, and it was a, a really good reminder of the difference that light can make to moods and to attitudes and to feelings. And so thank you for that reminder as we drove in this morning to the gathering. Thank you that we can gather together today to lift up your name high and to learn from your word. And I would just ask you, Lord, that you would open up our ears and our hearts to what you have to say this morning. That any walls that we have built up as we walked into this place, that they would just be tore down, that you would help us to listen and to apply these things this morning, that your Holy Spirit would counsel us, convict us where necessary, and lead us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. The people of Israel, they had celebrated a festival called the Feast of Tabernacles. And during the festival, they would, uh, in the temple courts, they would light up these four large candelabras. And in each of these candelabras, there were these huge bowls. And just to give you an idea how big they were, uh, to, to use uh, for wicks, they actually took off the garments of the priests, and they used them to light these bowls on fire. And these candelabras, they were meant to represent God's presence with Israel and how he lit their path through the darkness of, of the wilderness. And so during this five-day festival, the people would gather together around these huge candelabras. They would sing together. They would dance all in worship to, to God. You'd come down to the festival, and you'd spend time with one another, and you'd just stay there, you know, through the night. And I remember as a kid, you know, we would go to Summerfest in Hastings, which is where my grandparents live. My parents would take me there, and they would have rides like the, the Gravitron. Do you know that one? It looks like a UFO, and it spins, and you get in there, and it sticks you to the wall, and you go up or down, right? Or they had swings that you could ride on that would take you way up into the air. 
they, you, you could walk down the midway and they would have games that you could play. And I still remember the smells, you know, of elephant ears and, and French fries. And there were vendors that sold these weird little puppet monkey things that connected to your waist. You know what I'm talking about? Where you would puppet them a little bit and, and, and they would sell these 3D pictures that you had to cross your eyes just a little bit to be able to see. Do you remember those? Yeah, it was something else. Um, you know, and all throughout the day, they would have things like tractor pulls and, and petting zoos. And then into the night, they would have bands that would play. And I remember spending hours at Summerfest. And when it was time to, to leave, I just remember feeling kind of sad and empty because I knew it was going to be a whole year before we could do this again, right? And I think, you know, as this festival is happening, on the fourth night the priests would come and they would extinguish the fire that was in these uh, bowls. They would extinguish, extinguish the flames and there was this general sense by the people of sadness and longing. It was kind of like me when I was a kid, you know, just, just, just longing for Summerfest to happen again. It was kind of like, oh man, I wish that could just continue on. Uh, and so the people, they felt a, a sadness and, and a longing and a waiting. And, and here's Jesus who's in the temple courts with the people as the flames are being extinguished. Jesus had come down there to enjoy the company of others and to worship with all the other people as well. And Jesus is tuned in to the feelings of, of the crowd. He's tuned into the sadness. He's tuned into the longing. And that's when Jesus says this to the crowd of people. This is from John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the truth is, this is how the Bible describes life without Christ. It's like heading home after a fun festival. There's this desire for something more in our lives that leaves us wanting and waiting and empty. That without Christ, we are, we are walking in a world of darkness. And we try different things to kind of get this feeling of the flame back and the worship, you know. Uh, we, we look for these things in, in so many different places in our lives. We look for them in, in success, in our work. We, we look, at, look for these things in, in our bank accounts, right? We look for these things in sexual relationships and, and in substances, and none of it is quite fulfilling. Some of it even does us more harm than, than good. We're looking for any way that we can fill this void that is in us. We look for people to fill the void. We, we, we look for things to fill the gap. But the Bible says that this gap that is in us can only be filled by an ongoing relationship with God. And in this section of Scripture here, Jesus says, He is the light of the world. That if you follow Him, you, you will never have to live your life in darkness. I was thinking about the times in our life when we get together to party, and, and party I know has like a negative connotation, but I'm talking about those times when we get together and we have a good time and we just enjoy each other's company. And I was thinking about these things and I was thinking how much light makes a difference in these situations. Like, like when we get together for a wedding, for example. You know that the DJ is going to bring some good music to a wedding, right? But he's also going to bring some party lights, isn't he? Something that spins around and something that's going to change color. It, Light is what makes the life of the party. Have you ever been to a party that doesn't have those lights? It's not quite the same. 
Like the lights bring life to the party. Or what about our gets-togethers in the summertime? What would we do without bonfires in the summertime? I mean, are we really going to sit together in a circle in pure darkness? I mean, that's ridiculous, right? We want to see each other. We want to be able to see our food and, and be able to eat it, right? The light is what gives life to the party. So we tend to congregate around fires at a party just like they had congregated around these fires in the temple because the light gave life to the party. And this is the thing. You were made to congregate around the light with each other. You were made to, to, to spend time singing and dancing and worshiping together around the light. And that's why before Christ we feel this feeling of, of longing and sadness. That's why when the, when the flames are extinguished and we're there in the darkness, we feel empty. But Jesus says he is the light of the world. That when we follow after him, all of a sudden our entire life becomes about glorifying and worshiping God. Not just when we're in the temple, gathered around the flame, but in every moment of our life. And now we have hindsight, right? Now we know that Jesus died and he came back to life. So when Jesus says that I am the light, it's a lot easier for us to believe what he is saying, right? We can accept that fact because we know that Jesus, in fact, has power over even death itself. And so we can accept this. But before Jesus' resurrection, you have to understand how scandalous this would have been for Jesus to say this. It would have been a little bit easier to believe it than if I was to stand up and say, I am the light of the world, right? But probably not too, too much beyond that. Like, like, Jesus, you're thinking a little bit high of yourself right now, aren't you? But if you think what Jesus says is, is scandalous in, in uh, the book of John, then what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, is even more scandalous. If you think he makes a bold claim of himself that he is the light of the world in John chapter 9, then you have to take a look at this statement and what he says in Matthew chapter 5 because it's even more bold. And here's what he says. This is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says, you, talking to his disciples, talking to the believers, he's talking to, to us in this room, you are the light of the world. What? It's not just that Jesus is saying that he is the light, but we can see from this sermon that Christ intends for each of us to be the light as well. And we used to walk in darkness before we knew Christ. But now that we follow in Christ, we get to walk in his light. And because his spirit dwells in us, it means that we also give off his light as well. In other words, I don't know if you've ever heard this before in your life, but you, get ready, because I'm about to tell you. I don't know if you've ever heard this before in your life, but I'm about to tell you. You are the life of the party. How's that? You have the potential to change any room that you walk into. Any gathering of people that you enter into, whether it's your home, your school, your workplace, or more to the point for this series, this, your social media sphere of influence, you have the potential to change all of that. Because while the world looks for satisfaction in its elected officials, we have it in Jesus. While the world looks for success in its achievements, we find it in Jesus. While the world looks for uh, satisfaction in its bank accounts, we have it in Jesus. Jesus. 
We walk in the light and we join with Christ in being his light bearers to the world. And Christ intends for each of us to be the light into a dark, dark world, shining brightly. All of us in this room, a point of light. Hundreds of us, thousands of us, millions of us, a billion people in this world shining their light into a dark, dark world. Jesus goes on to say this. He says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When those bowls were lit up in the, in the temple courts, they would light up the city. And if you were far, far away from Jerusalem, you couldn't help but see an entire town that was lit up. You could see the presence of God for miles and miles away. But here's the thing. Jesus tunes us into this, this reality that even though we are the light of the world, we can choose to turn off our switch. Jesus says, why would you turn on a lamp only to throw a bowl over the top so that you can't see the light? Like, what is the point of that? No, you put, it, you put it on a stand. You put it in the middle of the room so the light can be shared with, with everyone, right? And since we are God's lamp and we were intended to shine a light, um, you know, what's the purpose of turning it off? We need to let that light shine so we can influence others. Jesus says, influence them in order to glorify our Father in heaven. And certainly as a church, it is our mission to, to get others to glorify God who don't yet know him, right? We want to engage with people who are far from God. We want to introduce them into a relationship with, with the living Jesus. We want to baptize them, and we want to make disciples of them. And in order to do that, we first have to shine our light before others. We have to be intentional about living a life worthy of the gospel. In other words, we have to flip on our light switch. And if every Christian has his or her light turned on, this would be a very different world because the truth is that when Christ's light shines on people, people's supernatural things can begin to happen. People can begin to let go of their doubts and their fears. People can begin to uh, reconcile their relationships and forgive others. People's hearts become healed. Addictions become Cured, prisoners are set free, people turn from their lives of destruction towards a life of, of purpose. As we carry our light into the world, our world lights up. And where is light most effective? It's most effective in the dark, isn't it? Jesus had no intention for us just to stay together as light, huddling together, you know, only doing life with other Christians. Light is most effective in complete darkness. And that's why it's important for us in this series, right? We just talked about the dark side of, of social media, didn't we? This is the darkness that needs our light right now. This is clearly a space that needs the light of Jesus. And Jesus says, let your light shine so that your good deeds can shine before others. Well, what what do, what do good deeds look like in the digital space? This is how I want to kind of end our message today, just with some practical things that we can do on social media to begin to be the light in the darkness. I want to turn, um, I want to I pull out two things from Titus chapter 3. This section of scripture also talks about good deeds, but I think it's going to allow us to break it down a little bit so that we can use it to inform 
how we um, live our digital life. So this is from Titus chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Paul writes this. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And he goes before this talking a long list of what goodness looks like. But then he says, these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. Isn't that interesting? So I want to focus on this part where it says good deeds are profitable for everyone. And the key to that saying to me is profitable. When I think about the word profitable, I think of adding value. So this is our, our first very practical step that we can think of, of how to be the light on social media. It's to add value to people's lives. When we are communicating on social media, the things that we post should be adding value to the people around us. And here's some practical ways that we can do that. This is just a list I came up with of five things. This is certainly not a, a, a complete list. It's just the ones that came off at the top of my head. The first is this, inspire and motivate. And this was Jesus' point, right? When he's standing in the temple courts and the lights go out and people are feeling empty and feeling the void, Jesus says, you don't have to live your life this way. If you follow me, you'll never have to live in darkness. And so Jesus is inspiring. He's motivating people to say, your life doesn't have to be this way. You can change it, right? Number two, help provide solutions to problems. I mean, what are pain points in the lives of people that, that you're doing life with on social media? Try to, try, to, try to make their life easier by offering solutions to problems. Point them to resources. DM, DM them. Ask them out for coffee, right? Invite them to church. Look for people who are in need of friendship and offer them friendship. Offer to help them move if they need to move, right? Let's offer some practical solutions to people's problems. Another way to add value. Number three, make people smile or laugh. There's so much negativity on social media. It's important that we bring some positivity if we're going to be the light. Number four, teach people a new skill. You have skills. I think you would be surprised how you can use teaching people those skills to make new relationships that will ultimately lead to discipleship. Take some of those skills you have, make a video, post it on your social media, allow people to ask questions, begin to build relationships that way. And as you begin to build relationships, pretty soon you can move on to spiritual conversations and discipleship. Number four, be a listener. This is going to seem pretty far out there, I think, in our world of social media. But what about letting people share their perspective with you without you feeling the need to get defensive, without you feeling the need to share your opinion with them, but also without your need to agree with what they're saying? Just be a listener. Sometimes being a listener can just add tremendous amounts of value to people. They just want to be heard. They want to feel valued and cared about. So be a listener. Those are five things. Not even close to a complete list, just the five things that came off of the top of my head, some practical suggestions. But let's look at the other thing I want to look at from Titus. If we can uh, put verse 9 up on the screen. Uh, he says this, Paul says, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. So Paul's giving us four things to avoid here. One of these is foolish uh, controversies. This is beckering over small things in, in, uh, in life. 
I said beckering, but I mean bickering. <laughs> I felt British there for a second as it was coming out of my mouth. Did I just offend English people? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, bickering over certain issues just becomes poisonous to the Christian life. And when we do it on social media, what happens is people begin to see us bickering. And it takes away from our witness. The second thing is genealogy. So this was important in Jesus' day. Rabbis would often point back their genealogy all the way back to, to Abraham, right? And they would say, this is what makes me so uh, important is my genealogy. But Titus was a, was a um, he was not a Jew, he was a Gentile. And so for him, you know, he could easily get caught up in the you are less than because you don't have a genealogy that goes all the way back to Abraham. So Paul's telling him, concern yourself less with what people think about you. I want you out there doing mission. Don't worry about your genealogy or getting caught up in discussions about genealogy. Instead, just be about mission. Go out and spread the gospel. The next thing is arguments. And I think what Paul is trying to say here is don't be an argumentative person. People don't like being in relationship with people who are argumentative all of the time. If you are all argumentative all the time, you, you, you will suffer with relationships, but you will find the only influence that you can carry as an argumentative person is usually the influence of fear, which in my mind is the opposite of, of carrying ourselves in a meaningful way that represents the gospel, right? And then, finally, Paul says quarrels about the law. So the people surrounding Titus, they would often get caught up in these debates over the minutia of, of the law, small things. And Paul didn't want Titus spending his energy and his time worrying about the minutia of the law. Instead, he said, get out there and get busy. I want you to spread the gospel, not, not arguing about these small things within the law, right? And so, so Paul wants us to know there are a lot of these things that people look at that hurts our reputation, but it all, there are also things that take up our energy and our focus, and they take our mind off of the mission of, of the church. What are those issues right now? We have huge issues right now with, that we're trying to deal with around the world, things like uh, race, reconciliation, you know, big problems, but then we have these other little things like wearing masks right now. This is a great example, I think, of something that Paul would bring up for us because it leads to bickering and arguments. Some people are ready to walk away from their church because um, their church requires a mask and they don't feel like they have to wear one. And everyone knows it because they probably posted it all on social media. And so the whole world gets to see the bickering as they walk away from their church. And then on the other side, you have people who, um, who are also ready to walk away from their church relationships because their church doesn't require a mask, and they feel like everyone should, and they've probably posted that also on social media, and so the whole world gets to see the bickering, and in the meantime, everyone is walking away from their church relationships, especially in a church like ours, where all of a sudden we ask you to kind of be courteous to people as you walk in and as you interact with people and wear a mask, but when you sit down, you can take it off, and so we're really upsetting both sides of the coin here, and who's left to spread the gospel? And so Paul says, stop your bickering. Stop being so argumentative. It's unprofitable is the word that Paul uses, and it's useless. Stop entering into every conflict and confrontation on social media. Instead, what if you focused yourself on doing what is good? Focus on adding value to people's lives. Focus on turning on your light. Because when the light of God shines on people, people get healed. People find peace and hope 
and people find love, sometimes for the very first time in their life. So church, turn your light on because you are the light of the world. Thanks again for joining us for today's episode. If you found the message today helpful for living a life on purpose, please visit us at www.epic-community.org. Until next time, 